So listen, understand that when God gives you a word or he speaks a verse into your heart, as you're spending time with the Lord, guess what? He is building you up because you are a vital part of the body of Christ to edify and build up one another. It's not just the pastor's job. It's not just the leader's job, not just old people's job. It's our job. This is what God has called us to do and gifted us to do. Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. All right, well, if you guys have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Well, tonight we are going to be continuing our study through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and tonight we're looking at the gift of prophecy. So... 1 Corinthians 14 says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit he he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. And he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. As way of reminder, uh, the, we're continuing our study through this book. We're, we're actually going to make it to the end, probably 2022, uh, through 1 Corinthians. But we've paused here in chapter 12, and tonight we're in chapter 14, looking at the gifts that are listed um, for the church. Now, the emphasis of chapter 12 is not necessarily the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The, the emphasis of it is the unity of the body and its diversity. And so... Um, that's the, that's neither here nor there. But we're gonna we're gonna study these things because Paul Paul makes a point in chapter twelve. He says, "Brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant of these things." And often there's where there's ignorance in the church. It's on these things, right? It's where <laughs> there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of different views, especially when it comes to the gift of prophecy, which I am so excited to get to try and figure out. Um, by the way, there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of stuff when it comes to the gift of prophecy. So we need to define what we're talking about, right? Um, You have an Old Testament prophecies, we have New Testament prophets, we have all sorts of really fun, theological and confusing things for you tonight. So if you're like, I'm so tired, buckle up, because (laughs) like grab a coffee real quick, stand up, stretch, red bullet, slap, whatever, you know, because, it might not be that bad. I think I'm painting it a little worse than it's going to be, hopefully. But the point is, we are continuing this, this study as we are called to be together as the church, unified under one heading that is Christ. And together, we're, we're brought together by the Holy Spirit. If you look around the room tonight, most of us would not be in the same room with each other, hanging out with each other, sharing laughs together, even fellowshipping together if it weren't for the Holy Spirit. That's just how it is. Like most of us wouldn't have that connection unless it was for Jesus. And so we're called to to be a part of the body of Christ. And the way that it works is through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit living in us, the Holy Spirit um, guiding us and directing us. And the Holy Spirit gifts us as the church with certain gifts in order for the benefit of the body of Christ. He has given us all different gifts that benefit the, and build up the church and to equip the church for the ministry. 
As we looked at last week, we looked at the gift of teaching and how that works and what that is for. The gift of teaching is for the edifying and the building of the church, for the instruction of God's word, that right uh, right theology produces right living. Like what we believe about God, what we're taught about God is very important because it dictates to us how we live, right? What we know of God and what we learn of God, it actually produces in us a lifestyle. And it's very important that we understand God's word correctly. That it doesn't matter how we feel about a text, like this text makes me feel warm inside, that doesn't necessarily matter. Or I think it means, that doesn't matter either. Because scripture has a meaning. That when this was written for us, it's written for our understanding, it's written that we might know God, it was written with an intention and a meaning behind it. So what we think it means really doesn't matter. We need to get in touch with what it really is saying. And the way that we do that is by reading it. By reading it. The, the only requirements for, for understanding scripture is you have to be born again. Like you have to be born again by the spirit of God because only those th people who are spiritual understand spiritual things. And this is a spiritual book. This is not a science book. This is not a history book. This is a spiritual book. It speaks to our soul. And we've divided these gifts into three Old Testament offices. Jesus fulfilled these offices as priest, king, and prophet. Zach taught the priestly gifts, such as tongues and healings, etc. And last week we began the prophetic gifts, the gift of teaching. And tonight we're going to look at the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy is and has been the ministry of God to his people for men and women moved by the Spirit to speak forth God's truth. And when we think of prophecy, we often think of the foretelling of future events. But it's not only that. And, and there's a, a meaning that's, that's hidden here, not hidden here, but it's here for us that we would understand what this gift of prophecy is. When we think of prophecy, you can think of it only as foretelling of, of future events, but it's more than that. The gift of prophecy is the forth telling, with a T-H, forth telling, and the foretelling of God's truth. So the forth telling in the sense that we just speak God's truth. We, we proclaim God's word, that this is who God is. This is God's mission and goal. This is how God revealed himself to us. This is who God is. These are ways in which we experience the gift of prophecy as we foretell or foretell, sorry, emphasis on the TH, as we foretell God's truth. This is who he is. And the gift of prophecy is just that. And Peter said, in 2 Peter 1, verse 21, he says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not a New Testament idea. This is something we see throughout the Old Testament as well. In fact, 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 2, David, some of his last words that he ever spoke, it says, the Spirit of the Lord spoke by me and his word was on my tongue. David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote Psalms. He, he wrote these lyrics. He wrote these Psalms. And in fact, some of them, a lot of them, have messianic promises and prophecy within them. If you look at the Psalms that David wrote, they were anointed. I mean, you can't read the Psalms without going like, those are anointed. 
Like there's some great songs out there, but these are fantastic. Um, and not that you should only read Psalms. Like if you ever talk to me, you're like, what do you read? I read the Psalms every day. Only Psalms, all the Psalms. I love the Psalms. 119, all of them, like, or whatever. This is, okay, you can branch out. There's more. But you cannot deny that they are anointed. Some were predictive, worship songs, their prayers, some of them, and some of them are instructive. But in the book of Psalms, chapter 16, verse 8 through 11, Peter actually quotes these verses on the day of Pentecost as a prophetic word pointing to Jesus. But also in Acts chapter 2, verse 30, it says this. Uh, when Peter is, is speaking there on the day of Pentecost, he stands before this group of people filled with the Holy Spirit. And he begins to preach a sermon unlike any other. And he says, but he was a prophet, speaking of David. And he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of, of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. And David was speaking prophetically of what was to come in Psalm chapter 16. As God had promised him, he had God's word that was a promise to him that his, a descendant of his would never cease to be on the throne of Israel. And David was both prophet and king. Interesting. So, an office that only Jesus could fill. But yet, the life of David points to the greater than David. Always. It points to the greater than David, Jesus Christ. His descendant who would come from that line. Later in Acts chapter 4, verse 25, it says, They saw this as a prophetic word. If you read that verse, this, this verse actually speaks from David's own lips, Peter quotes again of what was to come through Jesus Christ. And we realize that the gift is not new to the New Testament, but exercised throughout biblical history. The gift of prophecy differs from the gift of tongues, right, as we read in our text, in the fact that tongues is addressed to God. Zach did an amazing teaching on the gift of tongues and what that is. Tongues is a personal thing between you and God. Often when it's spoken among in a group setting like this, we wait for the gift of interpretation to come alongside of it in order that we might agree and amen and agree in our praise and worship of God. But ultimately, that gift is something that's personal between you and the Lord. Because if you're Shabbat doing and I don't know what you're saying, I can't necessarily agree with you in that praise. Now, he says that the gift of prophecy is addressed to people. It's addressed to us. And how does the gift of prophecy benefit the body of Christ? Look at in our text in verse 3. It says, but he who prophesies, in, in chapter 14, but he who prophesies speaks, number one, edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. So he gives us a whole like outline for us to study. Like the gift of prophecy is given with these three things involved in it, for our edification, for our exhortation, and for our comfort, okay? So we're gonna look at this first one, edification. What is it to edify? Edification in the Greek, it is this word, okadome. <laughs> Sorry, it means to build up. Say it, come on, that's fun, okadome. Hey, okadome. <laughs> Any, anywho. Just pretend like I didn't just say that out loud. <laughs> to build up. The act of one who promotes another's growth in Christian wisdom, 
piety, happiness, and holiness. That's what it means to edify. So the Greek definition is, and we are called by God and instructed by his word to do this for one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. So Paul tells the church, hey, don't stop speaking edification or edifying one another. Continue to build each other up in the times in which we're living. We need to be strengthened in our Christian walk. We need to be strengthened in our wisdom. We need strengthening in our holiness. He says, and that comes through the vessels of God's people. And God will speak through us as we pronounce God's word through uh, uh, to each other. Romans chapter 14, verse 9 says, Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify one another. Paul's speaking of how we're to treat one another. He says, In the ways in which we act, I want you to pursue peace with one another, not arguments with one another, not ranting and raving comments back and forth on whatever media you use. He says, but pursue peace with that brother in Christ. Pursue peace with those who belong to the family of God and then edify each other or build each other up. How do we build each other up? There's no amount of encouragement that I can give you about, you're so fantastic. Look how strong you are. Like that, That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about uh, appealing to someone's ego of like, you're so beautiful. And you're like, I want to lose three pounds. You're like, you're crazy. You're perfect. That's not what he's talking about. It's not talking about appealing to someone's ego or appealing to someone's person. It's appealing to someone's spirit. He's saying speak into the soul because the souls that we have get cracked. They get jacked up from the world that we live in. We experience pain. We experience suffering. And he says edify each other. How? Through the truth of God's word. That verse that you read in the morning, guess what? Although it may be for you, often it's for you to pass to someone else. When you do devotions, understand that those devotions and the time that you spend with God, whenever it's in the morning, the evening, wherever you're at your best, however you do that, understand that God is imparting his truth to you for you, for your edification, for your building up, but also that you would be a conduit for the Holy Spirit to pass that on. And so that is why, man, the church needs to be grounded and rooted in God's word, not just corporately as a church, but personally on our own. We need to be feeding off of God's word ourselves. We need to dig in ourselves. Recently, I took a how to teach the Bible class. Um, I've been a pastor for 13 years now, and I just took it last week. It was a... (laughs) uh, Junior high doesn't count. But, you know, like I, I took this class, and I remember... Uh, thinking that studying the Bible is hard. It's like a really difficult thing. And this guy taught it. It was a three-week course, and he simplified it in such a wonderful way. And I, I remember as I'm taking these classes at my kids' practices, as they're at baseball and football, and I'm there in the park with headphones on, like filling in the blank. It's fill in the blank, people. I can do that. I can do that. You can do that. It's fill in the blank. As he teaches, you just write in the word. And as he's giving me these, like, just truths that the Bible says what it says, and the best way to understand what it says is to get to know what it says. So often I'm like, I don't even know what this means. I didn't even read it, right? It's like, this is impossible. What does this mean? Have you like, sat down, spent time? Because you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is the only requirement for you to understand God's word. 
You need to know who God is. And secondly, you got to read it. There is a way in which God is using the church to edify one another, and it's through us sharing God's word with one another. Right? It's so simple. This is how we're building each other up. Ephesians 4.29, it says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. He says, listen, this is an aspect of prophecy. It's not some crazy, like, you, like in the glow about you, and you're like, I have a word from the Lord. Goats army, or whatever, I don't know, you know, whatever, some weird, wacky thing. It's simply God in a moment spont- spontaneously bringing to mind some verse, and you're like, hey, you know what? I know you're struggling, but, like, there's this verse I read the other day, and God just brought it to mind. Do you know that's the gift of prophecy? And it edifies someone else. That's the gift of prophecy working in the body of Christ. Okay? Super cool. So it's not some crazy thing that like some guy is a prophet and I walk around just like telling people like you're wrong and you stole that and whatever. Like that happens sometimes, but like that's not necessarily how it always works. We always, I think prophecy can sometimes get lost in translation of like what it really is. I was reading a thing about uh, Charles Spurgeon today, and Charles Spurgeon was a, a cessationist, meaning he didn't believe the gifts were for today. And one time he's preaching in the pulpit. Like one of the, he's the preacher's preacher. He's like the, the guy. He's preaching in the pulpit, and he stops, and he points at a young man, and he says, those gloves on your hands are not yours. You stole them, and God said to return them. And he continues preaching. <laughs> and the young man came up to him after the service, and he said, how did you know that? I stole these from my master. Please don't turn me in. This is a guy who didn't believe in the gift of prophecy. Because we're going to get to the next part, which is exhortation, right? We have edification, which is the building up of the church. In 1 Corinthians 3.9, it says that we are buildings and gardens unto the Lord, that God is building into us. He tends our, our, our bodies in the sense that God is drawing out impurities. He's pulling out things that don't need to be, belong there. And as a building, a structure founded upon God's word, God begins to build into our life and we become a structure unto the Lord, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? There's this whole imagery that the Bible paints as we are a building in the sense that God doesn't dwell in just this building, but he dwells in each and every one of us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But in that we are fallen and broken, guess what? Buildings break down. They get old. They get cracked. They get termites. I hate termites and ants and dry rot and all these things. This happens and, and this is happening currently in my home. Toilets break. I have termites everywhere and I have kids who are throwing stuff in the air and breaking open termite infested things and all the bugs are flying and I'm like, Duh! but the sad part is, is that I knew I had termites like four years ago. But I ignored it. You know why? Because I'm a renter. It's not my house. What do I care? The point is, the point is, is that you are the building of the Holy Spirit and God, right? You belong to him. And because you belong to him, God does not allow us as a building to stay like broken down. God renovates, God restores, 
He sees those spots and he says, this needs to be removed and taken care of. Listen, that's building us up. Those areas that are broken down, God doesn't desire for, us to, for them to stay that way. But through the gift of prophecy, through one another, God is building into us a framework of his spirit and strength within us. We break down, we fracture, uh, if not supported and maintained. So to prophesy into someone's life the word of God for them, it builds them up. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to do this all the time. And you're like, I have to get to prophecy, so this is just what I do. I go around giving people verses. But understand that there is a prompting that comes from the Holy Spirit to say, you need, I'd share that with that person. And you guys have witnessed it on Sunday mornings where Pastor John is, is preaching and he calls people forward. And then he's like, I have a vision. And you're like, well, that's, he's like, I can see. Or he'll quote scripture and someone's like, that was, the, that was for me. It's not that he was looking in the crowd and talking to people's families and like, give me some insights to stuff I can use to manipulate. It's the Holy Spirit through a vessel pointing his finger on someone and saying, I'm calling you specifically. Because our God is not just the God of the church corporately all over the world. He's the God of the individual. That God's cross was just as much for you as it was for me. And sometimes we can push that aside and say, God, I know that your cross is for them and for everyone else, but I don't see it for me. The same, the same Jesus that hung on a cross and had a bag put over his head and was punched repeatedly without being able to see it. And they said, prophesy who hit you. And guess what? He knew every single one of their names. He knew who their parents were. He knew where they were born. He knew, he knew everything about them. And he still died on that cross for them. This is the God that we serve. So listen, understand that when God gives you a word or he speaks a verse into your heart, as you're spending time with the Lord, guess what? He is building you up because you are a vital part of the body of Christ to edify and build up one another. It's not just the pastor's job. It's not just the leader's job. Not just old people's job. It's our job. This is what God has called us to do and gifted us to do. <clears throat> the second part of that is exhortation. Exhortation in the Greek is the word paraklesis. It means to call near. It means to call near. He, he, calls us, um, he calls us together. It's encouragement to action, not just knowledge. Exhortation, the gift of exhortation. And you know, you have those people in your life who are like, come on, like, suck it up. We all got problems, you know, like, let's go, let's go. Everyone needs like a let's go person, right? We are like, I'm just saying, they're like, let's go. Like, why? Suck it up. Like, we all got problems, you know, like, we all got stuff going on. And like, the Bible says this, right? It's not that they're like, suck it up. <laughs> I painted that really horribly. It's not that they're just beating you over the head of like, do it, bench press another one. And they're just screaming at you. And you're like, I I'm going to drop it. And they're like, you can do it. And you're like, I really can't. It's not just that. It's the exhortation that comes from saying, hey, this is what scripture says. Now, this is what we ought to do. Not just to be a hearer of the word, but to be a doer of the word. James, in the book of James, James had the gift of exhortation. In the sense that this guy said the most incredibly rude things. And you're like, this is amazing. This is my favorite book of the Bible, is the book of James. Because you don't have to guess what he means. 
You're not like, what does he mean by the tongue is a deadly poison? That's exactly what it means. What does it mean that your tongue is set on fire by hell? That's exactly what it means. He, it's called the Kung Fu book of the Bible because it kicks you in the stomach and doesn't allow you to push it away and be like, that's for someone else. James says, I don't care what you say. I don't care what you proclaim to know. The demons know that there's a God, but they don't live it. So if you're over here claiming that you know God and you're not living it, I don't believe you. That's the gift of exhortation. But in the way that James does it, like, oh, that's his gifting. Exhortation calls us to action. We know that the Bible teaches us that we ought to pray. We should trust the Lord, that we should love each other, but we don't always do it, do we? Otherwise, like, my job, I'd be done, like, four years ago. Like, you're good, right? You guys know what it says? And we just walk, like, there's no point. We come to church, so we're exhorted. This is what it says. So there's a lifestyle that's produced as a result of the word of God. That's the gift of prophecy, is exhortation. It's exhorting us not to just sit there and to be spoon-fed, but it should take root in our heart and change the way that we live because it's the living, powerful word of God. You don't get saved and everything just stays the same. You know what I mean? This is living, it's powerful. It's producing in us, the Bible says, a different way of living. It's one thing to lay out principles, but now we have to do it. That's the purpose of the word of God. It's not just for us to know. Like, guys, it's not just for us to know. It's for us to do what it says. My neighbor right now, like, dude, I love the guy. He comes to church every week. He sits in that old, gray, dirty truck. That's my next door neighbor. Heathen dog. Like, just heathen beyond heathen. For the last, like, 10 years, we've been next to this guy. Just beer bottles clanging in the, in the trash can every single day. He's not going to hear this, so whatever. <laughs> but he, listen, he is coming. Listen, pray for this guy. His name's Scott. He is coming to the outlets every week, and I'm watching him change every single week. He brings his Bible. It's one of those that you get at Barnes and Noble that's like hardcover, you know? But he has a Bible and he's bringing it to church. And I am watching him change little by little by little by little. Because that's what the word of God does. And he's being exhorted every single week, not to just have knowledge, but to change the way that he's living. And guess what? It's working. It's working. And I truly believe that this guy is saved. I just believe that he's been walking around in the world for the last 40 years and it's slowly coming out. And listen, God is so gracious in that way. Do you know that God is so gracious with us that little by little, God is removing the world from us. Just every day that we walk with him, that God is removing more and more of the flesh and replacing it with more of him. That's why we're called to walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. We want to give way to the Holy Spirit in our life, that God, you would live and, and I would obey what your word says because listen, it works. It works. There's no shortcut, there's no way around it. It's simply that the word says this, and if you will obey God, it works. It works. There's no other seminar you have to attend of like, these are the secret ones. <laughs> Those other suckers don't know anything. Here, this is the real stuff. Listen, you on your own, as you read the word of God, because you're a spirit-filled Christian, guess what's happening? The word of God is going into your heart. As you obey it, you're being changed, you're being edified, you're being exhorted, and you then are gifted by the Holy Spirit to be a vital part of the body of Christ. 
You are not the future of the church. You are the church. And I'm so tired of the next generation, the, the generation, a few before us, just just talking trash about this generation as like, they don't know anything. Everything's on an iPhone. Everything's been handed to them. They don't know what they're talking about because you are just as much a part of the church as they ever were and are. And if anyone tells you that, you tell them, hey, little by little, I'm becoming what Jesus has made me to be. We are, listen, you are this church. You are this church. You are a part of the body of Christ. No matter where you are in your walk with Jesus, you're like, well, I've only been saved for a few weeks. You are the body of Christ. I've been saved for 14 years, but I'm not walking in the way that I should. You are the body of Christ. And don't let the devil cheapen it for you. Don't let the devil tell you that you can't or you shouldn't or this isn't for you. It is. It absolutely is. Are you a believer in Jesus Christ tonight? Then this is for you. The same Jesus that hung on a cross and next to a thief told him, today you will be with me in paradise. The guy had no chance to clean up his life, to be spirit-filled. That day when he died, he was in the presence of Jesus Christ. So no matter where you are, guess what? You're a part of the body of Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus tonight. And the exhortation or the words that God, God speaks to us about not just living or just, not just knowing something about God, but allowing that to make us into who we are supposed to be or who we are becoming. If you remember, Jesus said to the woman who was caught in adultery, a lot of times people love this, like Jesus just like let her go. But do you know he spoke very specific words to her? When she was thrown at his feet and they said, this woman's caught in the act of adultery, she should be stoned. What do you say? And we don't know what Jesus did next. Some say he like was writing their sins in the sand and little by, like all it tells us is that one by one, they dropped their rocks and they walked away. And this woman looks up and Jesus says to him, woman, where are your accusers? And they said, she says, there are none, Lord. And he says, neither do I accuse you. And this is important. This was a word of exhortation from the mouth of Jesus. He says, go and sin no more. That's exhortation. What she learned that day was the grace of God. The immaculate, beautiful, huge grace of God. And in light of the grace of God, Jesus calls her to action. In light of what you know of God, live accordingly. That's big. Sometimes we talk about just like the love in that moment. Guess what? That was a holy moment as well. That Jesus revealed his holiness in that moment. Go and sin no more, he said. Titus 2, verse 6, it says, Young men, likewise, exhort to be sober-minded, to have control over our minds, not just be wild and free with it, <laughs> to keep it on guard. Not only what we're to do, but also exhortation is, hey, stop doing that. You know, that's a gift of exhortation. It's not judgment or someone being holier than you. It's actually the gift of prophecy being seen through the gift of exhortation. When you're like, man, this is crazy. And then like, someone goes, hey, stop doing that. That's how every one of my counseling session goes, by the way. Like, I don't know, I'm just struggling. Two words, real simple. Write it down if you want. If you can't remember stuff, stop it. Just stop doing that. It's revolutionary. <laughs> stop doing that. I can't. Yes, you can. Put it down. 
Walk away, smash your phone, get rid of it. What's more important? Like weighing these things, like I can't. Yes, you can. Stop it. Stop. Like that's exhortation, not just what we should do, but someone calling you out and saying, stop doing that. Don't judge me, man. Don't judge me, man. That's not judgment. That's someone with wisdom and the gift of prophecy speaking into your life and saying, that's going to destroy you. That's going to ruin you. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. I say it to my kids every day, a thousand times a day. Stop doing that. I was driving to my daughter's softball game this evening. And my nine-year-old son is sitting in the front seat with me. And he keeps, like, copying me, you know, like, just repeating what I'm saying. And I can sense it. So I'm like, I'm not going to say anything. And then he keeps, you know, any movement, any, like, uh, and I'm like, huh, shh, like, twirl my muscle. And he's doing all this. And finally, he starts laughing. And I'm like, dude, stop it. <laughs> and he looks right at me and goes, dude, stop it. And what else can I do but laugh? And then he starts laughing and he reaches over and grabs my arm while I'm driving. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> pulls the wheel. And I'm like, dude, next time you're sitting in the back from now on, like, stop it. And he was like, okay, okay, stop it. Because this is serious and you're going to kill us all. Like, that's a big deal. And his little brother's in the back just like, <laughs> fart. Like, listen, when someone like speaks into your life and says, you need to stop doing that. And here's why. Here's scripture. Like, here, here's scripture into your life. Stop. Like, don't do that. The Bible says don't. And you're like, doesn't apply to me. You're rejecting the word of the Lord for you. It's not someone judging you. Understand that this gift is given to us, the body of Christ, to do this for each other. So when someone who cares about you and love, I'm not talking about the guy you don't know who's like, hey man, it says here that it's good for a man not to touch a woman. And you're like, that's way out of context. And that's talking about beating your wife. Um, so stop. And I just gave her a side hug, like no big deal. This is not call, it's not a calling for us to be Bible bashing, thumping with an NKJV the size of your mom's house. <laughs> just like the Bible says. Understand that exhortation needs to come with the right motive, with the right love in mind, the heart of Jesus. In that moment where he speaks to that woman, that type of motivation and love. Hey, I love you. I don't accuse you. But here's what I am saying. You need to stop. You need to stop. Because I love you, I tell you to stop. Or I'm calling you to, to, to something else. Exhortation not only to, to stop, but also to keep moving. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, it says, But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. It's an exhortation to keep moving forward in your walk with Jesus. This is something that all of us, I don't know about you, but I need this bad. I have a tendency to start awesome. Just like, I love five-yard sprints, I'm into it. But anything past that, it's like, that's way too far. Everyone's like, let's go for a jog. No, no, no. How long is it or whatever? We have a tendency to start really well and start gung-ho, but when things start to get difficult, we have a tendency to stop. Zach likes to point this out when I start books of the Bible. When I start books of the Bible, I'm all excited. I get to like halfway point. I'm like, this is so stupid. <laughs> I, I give up. Like, this is dumb. I need that exhortation of like, no, we need to keep going. 
We need to keep going. And all of us will have that moment in our life where we're, we're tempted to just give up, let go, go with the drift, just kind of stroll downstream. Listen, exhortation, the gift of prophecy, exhorting one another to keep on going. Keep running the race. The Bible encourages us often, exhorts us to keep growing, keep walking, keep following Jesus. Don't allow yourself to be derailed. I mean, how many times does it say, return unto the Lord? Don't give up. Keep going. Every single day, you can find it in the word somewhere that says, you need to keep going. Keep pressing in. Don't allow yourself to become idle or allow yourself to become an atrophied part of the body of Christ, but we need to keep on moving. 1 Peter 5, 1 and 2, it says, The elders who are among you and I exhort you, who I am fellow elder and witness of the suffering of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serve as overseers, not by compulsion, by, uh, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. What is Peter saying? To those who are older in the church, he says, keep going. Keep going. Don't grow lax. Don't, and he says it to us. Shepherd the flock of God among you because Jesus is coming back. He makes, we made the point last week. The Christian lives within these two events, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the return of Christ. And grace teaches me that when I screw up in this life, I run back to the cross and say, Jesus, forgive me, restore me, compel me to keep on going. And it tells me to live a different kind of life. Why? Because Jesus is coming back. That's the motivation. This is what Peter says. Do this. I exhort you to do this. Why? Jesus is coming back. Don't grow lax. You can grow lax in anything else. Gain weight, whatever. But don't stop following Jesus. Keep that commitment as sharp as it could possibly be. The devil loves to do anything he can to create sluggish couch potato Christians. As long as you don't take anyone with you to heaven, the devil's fine. Be as fat and comfortable as you want to be. Because you're ineffective. And so it's when, when we become like that, man, it's, it's this encouragement. It's a prod as sheep. That little that staff that also comforts us also kind of hits us in the backside to get us going. That is the gift of exhortation. In Jude chapter 1, it says some stuff. The third thing here, third point, because it's getting long here. Third thing, comfort. It's the word paramithia in the Greek. Now, the root of this word is used only four times in other places, but this form is only used once here. In 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 10 and 11, the Apostle Paul writes, You are witnesses in God also how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know, how we exhorted and comforted, it's that same word, and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. The idea of edification, exhortation, and comfort to men, when the gift of prophecy is used, as we use God's word to bring comfort, the idea is like a, a father with his child who comes alongside to encourage and comfort. Who puts their arm around him and says, hey, it's going to be just fine. 
So often, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where someone is hurting so bad and you're like, I don't even know what to say. And you're just like, I'm so sorry. I really am. I'm just super, super sorry. There's like nothing you can really say. There have been times like that where, where I'm, I'm already a little awkward when people start crying, so I don't know what to do. And so when that starts to take place, I'm like, God, please just like help me. And it's so crazy when someone quotes just the right scripture and it hits just the right spot. So often, I think often, there's a lot of times where people are hurting and you're like, well, the Bible says, and you say it without grace, or without comfort and no e empathy whatsoever. And you're like, suck it up. That's not the time for exhortation, right? <laughs> That's not the time. We're like, hey, we all got problems. That's not the time. There are times where we need the gift of prophecy so that we can comfort those who need it. The Bible says that he's near to the brokenhearted. And this is how we draw near to him. As we draw near to him, we're going to be able to help people draw near to the Lord in times of difficulty. And that's the idea, putting your arm around someone, a child, with that kind of like vulnerability and that kind of issue. And you're just like, hey, you need to know that you're cared for. Like that's so often when my kids are like hurting or something's going on. It's not the time where I'm like correcting them. Like when they fall and they're like hurt because they're doing something stupid. I'm not like, see, I told you, idiot. Gosh, and I'm like, oh, oh, that's a time where I like draw them close and like, hey, are you okay? Like, where does it hurt? Show me where it hurts, whatever. And then later, I tell them, stop it. Like, I told you, stop it. It's that same idea. Hey, we come alongside those who are hurting and we need the gift, that gifting to come alongside and say, hey, God's word says that Jesus is near to you. And listen, if we're going to use this gift, we need to know the tool of prophecy, and that is God's word. If the gift of prophecy is the foretelling of God's word, then we need to know God's word. It's, like, vitally important. And Jesus said in John chapter 14, I was looking for just examples of where Jesus would use this gift of prophecy and comfort in this way. It says, uh, in John chapter 14, Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am you may be also. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says later, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And later in that chapter, he says, I will pray to the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Jesus, in his words of comfort, in this gift of just pro prophesying over his disciples, he says to them, with this, this real little vein of comfort, he says to them, hey, don't, don't worry. Where I'm going, you're going to be there too. And when I'm there, hey, while I'm gone, I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit who will dwell with you forever. You're never going to be separated from him. He's going to dwell within you. I mean, just these words of comfort that still comfort us today. This hope of heaven. He points them to heaven. Um, so the foretelling of something spontaneous as well is brought to mind. This is also where we're going to kind of, it's late. Ah. I took way too much time. I'm really sorry. There's like seven more pages and you guys are going to just die. But just a little bit. Okay, so, so that is part of prophecy. It's the foretelling of God's word, right? Speaking the truth of God's word with, through edification, exhortation, and comfort. But it's also something that spontaneously is brought to mind for the believer. Now, the Old Testament prophets had an amazing ability to speak and to write words that had absolute divine authority, right? Isaiah, Jeremiah, these guys spoke and they wrote and it was like, thus saith the Lord. 
Like this is a prophet of God. There was no like weird like space where they were kind of wrong or kind of, kind of off. It was thus saith the Lord for them. And these words were absolute divine, divine authority. And they would say, thus saith the Lord, it would be the words of God that followed. Therefore, to disobey or to disbelieve would be to disobey or disbelieve God. Now, after 400 years of silence from heaven, the coming of Jesus into the world not only fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament prophets, but Jesus himself would be the final prophet and that the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, John chapter 1, verse 14. So Jesus fulfills this role, completing it as prophet. This is God's final spoken word in flesh, meaning that when God speaks, Jesus comes out. When you want to know what God would say and what God would look like, Jesus comes out. We look at the Gospels, we see how Jesus lived, what Jesus taught, and that is the very heart of God. Remember when Jesus took Peter, James, and John on a high mountain, and there he was transfigured in front of them. Elijah shows up, the prophet. Moses shows up, who was a symbol of the law, and they were there together. And Peter said some awesome words. He goes, we should build three tents up here. One for you, one for you, and one for you, and let's just camp here forever. It's going to be sick. And it literally says in that scripture, it says he said that because he didn't know what to say. If you don't know what to say, it's best not to say anything at all, right? Right? Just don't say anything. And this is God opens up the heavens coming from a cloud, and he says to Peter, be quiet. He says to him, listen, this is my beloved son, hear him. Stop talking. This is what you need to hear. You need to listen to him because he is the fulfilling of the office of prophet. This is the word of God. John was just a voice. Remember John the Baptist, he called himself a voice crying in the wilderness. And the interesting thing is that a voice disappears within a moment, but words last forever, right? John says, I'm just a voice. Jesus is the word of God in flesh who lasts forever. But from there, the apostles were given authority to write the words of the New Testament. And so the instruction from the apostles is this, if, if anyone teaches you or comes as a prophet or even an angel of light, they said, and teaches you or says something contrary to what we have taught you, he says to them, do not believe it. So this is where the gift of prophecy, we need to understand that prophecy never supersedes God's written word. So if someone stands up and says, I have a word from the Lord, God's changing his mind. Guess what? No, he doesn't. And, and they're a false prophet. And that's not a word from the Lord. You're like, it's spontaneous. No, it's not. No, it's not. God will not change his mind. He doesn't change his word. He doesn't go back on his word. The Mormons have a living prophet. And he can change anything, anytime, anywhere. Anything he wants. For the longest, anyway, it's a big stupid cult thing. But here's, here's, here's what that is. Listen, this is a safety for us. It's a safety for us. That when someone says, thus saith the Lord, you say, show me where. And that means also that when someone says to you, I have a word for you, that you're going, to be an, you're going to be a missionary in Africa, and you're like, I have no desire on earth ever to do that. I truly feel that God is calling me to do this. Listen, Paul had the same thing happen to him. 
Look what happens. And I'm just going to skip all the rest of the stuff. But here's what happens. In the book of Acts, Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. And a guy named Agabus, it's not exactly like this, but listen. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And, and, and here's what happens. Agabus comes down to this house that he was staying at. Um, who was a prophet. The guy was legit. And he comes into the house where they're staying. And, and it's, um, oh, let me just read it to you so don't screw it up. In Acts 21, Philip the evangelist, he had four daughters that had the gift of prophecy as well. Philip was one of the seven that was selected to wait on tables in Acts chapter 7. So this is believers, these are people that love Jesus, they're on the right path. Agabus also predicted there would be, uh, prophesied that there would be a famine in the land and it happened. The guy had the gift of prophecy in the foretelling of future events, which is also an aspect of prophecy, okay? This happens. But when they come into the room, Agabus grabs Paul's belt or his sash and he ties it around in his hands. He says, whoever this sash belongs to, so will he be as he goes to Jerusalem. He'll be bound by the Jews. Now, the interesting thing is if you fast forward in that chapter, when Paul is there, because he goes anyway, okay, normally when someone's like, you're going to be imprisoned, prophesy, you'd be like, eh, I don't know if I'm going to go. Something tells me. I should go there, right? <laughs> Paul goes. He goes. And he goes and he preaches in the synagogue. And guess what happens? The Jews grab him and they start to just beat him to death. They just start wailing on him. So bad that the Roman soldiers see it and they step in and help him. And they're the ones who arrest him and throw him in jail for his own safety. They, they had no intention of capturing him and throwing him in jail. They had every intention of killing him there on the spot. Self-execution. Like, that's what they were going to do. And you're like, why did Paul do this and how does this work? If you go back to Acts chapter 9, verse 15, you remember when Saul of Tarsus is becoming Paul the apostle. There's a man named Ananias who the Lord comes to and says to you, I want you to go to Saul. And Ananias is like, I don't think so. That's not a word from the Lord because that guy kills people and I don't want to do that. But he says to Ananias, this is what I want you to tell him. Acts chapter 9 verse 15, he says, but the Lord said to him, go for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name for, before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Paul had received that word and that, that very word from the very lips of God. And so any other prophecy says, yeah, that might happen to me, but I'm going to be obedient to what God says. Just because someone prophesies something into your life does not mean that that is where you are going to go. We always test things by what God has said. Okay, it never, prophecy never, it does not have absolute authority within the body of Christ as thus saith the Lord, because God has already said he has already said, finished in the person of Jesus Christ. So we test all prophets. The Bible tells us that when Paul said, he says to, to continue, not in the prophecy of these people, but he says, continue in our doctrine and in our teaching. And beware of false prophets. Test those things with what we know of Scripture. So... The gift of prophecy is in effect. There are times where people will have a word from the Lord and say, this is what I see. But listen, that doesn't necessarily mean that that means you have to do that. Like right now. 
Some, uh, a lady in our office was telling me a story of a, a prophet that would come into town. She's from a small town in Idaho. And he would stand up there and be like, you're going to move to a farm and have animals. And they're like, I guess I'm moving. And they would go and sell their stuff and move. And they're like, this is terrible. <laughs> like, we, you are filled with the Holy Spirit, aren't you? Hopefully you are. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit and that doesn't sit in your stomach or in your gut well, then hey, we'll see what happens. Uh, last thing. Pastor Chuck was saying that these guys came. Pastor Chuck is the founder of Calvary Chapel. Kind of like started this whole thing. Um, look it up. But there are these two guys that came and they prophesied over him and said, like basically you need to adopt this doctrine into your church and this is what you need to teach. And they pulled him into this side room and they start saying this stuff over him and they told him, unless you do this, he says, I see a picture of a coffin and you're in it unless you do these things. And Chuck went home and said, okay. <laughs> in two weeks, one of those prophets was dead in a coffin. Guy saw the wrong face. <laughs> So listen, we need to test all things with scripture. The gift of prophecy is something that we should pray for. Paul says, I, I wish that all had the gift of prophecy because it benefits each other as we edify, as we exhort, as we comfort one another, as we speak from the words of God and, and we impart that scripture to each other and that's what feeds the soul. Paul says, I wish that everyone would do that but there is also a, forth, a foretelling of things to come. Like, and we shouldn't run from that, but we should always test that. Listen, I think Zach said it perfectly uh, a few weeks ago. The Holy Spirit is not weird. People are weird. So we shouldn't be cautious of the Holy Spirit. We should be cautious of people, right? We should be cautious of people. The same thing that was happening in Paul's day where he would leave and someone would come in and preach all this weird stuff, try and get people off, off track. He says, that's why we need to test all things, keep in the doctrine, keep on the teaching of the word of God because I wish that everyone would prophesy the word of God to each other and build each other up and to speak those words of encouragement into each other. And listen, there's a lot of weird stuff going on because we have, a lot of people have YouTube theology and YouTube church, and that's where we're finding and taking these little tidbits from everywhere. When we understand the grand scheme of what these people actually believe, man, that's some weird, funky stuff. There's like this woke Christianity, and there's progressive Christianity, and there's lame Christianity, and there's all these things, and there's all this stuff is getting mixed up, and we can find anything when we Google search something. Before we Google search something, can I just... Use a concordance and look up some stuff in your Bible. Before we start Googling everything in our life, which is a, a fail switch, it's like a, it's a preset in most of us, and in myself especially, I'm like, what does the Bible say about, right? That's how I Google, anyway, and I do this. Um, <laughs> the best thing for us, man, is what does the Bible say about it? Because the Bible does speak. It does speak into our life. And this is, this is what brings health to the church, so... Um, if you have any questions about any of the stuff I said tonight, if you disagree with anything that I said tonight, talk to Zach but, um, <laughs> or, or Brennan. He'd love to talk to you about it. But hey, I understand. Listen, I understand that everyone has different views and a lot of people have different ideas. And hey, that's okay. We, we are all brothers in Christ. You believe in Jesus, you're my brother in Christ. So if we have different opinions, hey, it's cool. Let's talk about it. If you do have a question. And I would love to talk to you about it. But um, 
uh, we don't have to be weird about it. So, all right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening and the opportunity that we have to hear from you. And Lord, I do pray that it was from you. Um, we're thankful for the gifts that you've given to each of us as your church. And Lord, like you said through your word to your servants, stir up the gifts that are within you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would stir these things up in us. God, that we would not be ignorant of these things, but search out your word for what you would have for us personally. And I thank you, Jesus, that you are the God, not just of the church corporately, but you are our Jesus, our Savior, personally. And so, Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon us again. Lord, that we would receive whatever you have for us, Lord understanding that you desire to give us good gifts because you are our heavenly father who loves us so dearly. And so Jesus, we pray that the body would minister to the body this evening. God, that you would be glorified and honored, that we would be built up, exhorted to continue on, comforted for those that are hurting. And Jesus, that you would give us just the ability, Lord, to know what to say in the moments that we say it. Lord, I'm reminded of what you, you told the apostles. Do not think about what you will say in that moment. But the Holy Spirit will speak for you. And so, God, we're thankful uh, tonight that you, uh, you give us your own spirit to help us along. And so, uh, Lord, we praise you and worship you as we sing to you tonight. God, would you, again, restore us, renew us, revive us. In your name we pray. Amen.